By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. So on this episode, we're discussing the 2016 hit Arrival, um, which I would go so far as to call a fairly mega hit. I remember when it came out, everyone was talking about it, like just went absolutely bananas for it. Um, I heard uh, some of my favorite critics weren't so crazy about it, but most people I heard, it was the sort of film where all over Facebook, everyone who saw it was like, this is the greatest movie of the year. It's the greatest movie I've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. So it was a little bit ubiquitous. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, um, which is a, it's one of those combinations of any time a, a genre film um, makes a big enough splash in a uh, prestige film sphere, it's a really big deal. Um, so uh, Arrival certainly did that. It uh, was a very philosophical film, as we will get into in this conversation. Um, there were a lot of people who wanted to talk about Arrival because it's so beloved. Um, so this call has myself, Kelly Bedard, as well as Steve Vargo, uh, Hilary Wardinger, Lisa McEwen, Matthew Yipchuk, Brie Garcia, Susan Bond, Duncan Derry, and Liz Johnston. So uh, I hope you enjoy our discussion. It's a little bit of a long one. Um, and as always, we will absolutely be spoiling this movie. But if you haven't seen Arrival yet, like, what are you doing? Go watch Arrival. I want to start with Lisa because this was her pick. She really wanted to talk about Arrival because it apparently has something to do with your thesis. Please do tell. Um, yeah, I mean, vague kind of parallels. So um, I'm doing a PhD um, in philosophy and um, my dissertation is focusing on something called the performativity of language. And um, I'm not going to go into the history of that because I could talk for half an hour and it doesn't matter. I spend a lot of my time surrounded by men in philosophy who think that language is very formulaic. And I think it's very much more performative and use and function based. Um, and also, here's Susan, um, and also um, embodied in a way that I think gets like kind of drawn out in this movie in a way that I just, that is very close to my heart. And also um, uh, the way in which the movie has themes of like narrative and connection 
and language and grief kind of all weaving together. Um, I saw this movie at a point in my life where I was writing this dissertation and I was grieving a relationship and I was also grieving my father who'd passed away. And it's just like all of the themes kind of just interlinked in a way where I was like, this movie is just making me feel all of the, all the feels and I just love it so much. And every time I watch it, like I watched it just today again, I see new things and I have new thoughts. So that is why I chose it. Um, first of all, welcome Susan to the conversation. Thank you. Um, so you caught most of what Lisa said about, um, she specifically requested we do arrival because it is relevant to her thesis. Yeah. Um, did anybody else have any really strong reactions that they wanted to start off with? Oh, it was cool seeing it a second time. Um, I watched it first during Oscar season when it was nominated, uh, I think three or four years ago. And then seeing it a second time, sort of knowing how things were going to play it out, play out, it just added a new appreciation for how clever every element of this movie is, specifically like Amy Adams, just to be able to watch it and know that from an acting perspective, she has to look like she's remembering things in the past, even though internally her character is just like having these flashes of visions from the future. And like, that's brilliant how that's pulled off. So good job, Amy. Uh, yeah, we're also going to welcome Duncan and Liz to the call. Hi, guys. Um, so we're just doing, we're just getting started talking about some initial reactions, if anyone feels very strongly about this movie. Um, I'm also really interested in, well, first, let's go around and get everybody else's strong reactions, if they had them, for better or for worse. <laughs> I was just going to jump in and say, I have seen this movie, I think, 10 times. I like, oh, wow. Absolutely. <laughs> it's one of those movies that, like, I can put on and I just two hours two hours were passed and I completely love it I've shown it to multiple people and it it's always interesting because there's always kind of like a break between the people who like absolutely love it and they understand why I love it and the people who are like I'm confused that didn't make any sense um but I think also I very passionately love Jeremy Renner's character which is funny because <laughs> I don't like Jeremy Renner because he plays like the girlfriend-esque role that usually like women get kind of shoved into in almost every movie where he's just there to be like here's your coat and like I totally agree with what you say and like I have thoughts but like it's more important for your thoughts and I don't know I just love that it makes me feel so happy yeah he's like Chris Pine in uh Wonder Woman yes yeah. yes that's another one I also love yeah anyone else I will go I also love this movie so much I think similarly I have watched it certainly at least a dozen times I just, I saw it in the movies and I cried a lot. And then I saw it again at the theater. And then now I just watch it. And now it's on Netflix. So every day. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know. There's something about, it really meets a lot of my needs for a favorite film in terms of a little bit of sci-fi, a little, a kind of gentle dystopia. And, uh, and then really well-written characters and... I don't know. I, I love when a night when a movie kind of challenges your idea of narrative altogether. So that was something that I really loved about it. Did anyone the first time you saw it? Did anyone sort of put it together at all? Yes. <laughs> Around halfway through, I think it starts becoming very clear. Well, mm -hmm. maybe uh, like what she's seeing is um, not linear. I guess. Yeah. 
my friend made me read the short story before we went to see it. So <laughs> I knew, because it was like one of his favorite short stories of all time and he's a big sci-fi person. So I knew, I kind of knew where we were headed. But it was interesting to see in the cinema because they really have to guide a huge audience through what's kind of a complicated story. And the way they lay it out, it's like, if you know it's coming, you're like, yeah, okay. But it actually does it so well and watching it again. It's like, it was, I really appreciated how well they did that in a way that's like not condescending, but still clear. Mm -hmm. Does anybody not like this movie? Oh no. <laughs> okay, then I won't say anything. Kelly, <laughs> <laughs> you not like doesn't it? like the movie. Okay. <gasps> I think it's so boring. You don't like it either, Steve? <laughs> no, no, I, I can agree with you on the, um, it's, it's slow. It's very, uh, there's a lot of very lin linear, like gradual, like just getting to the ship takes a long time in the movie and there's not really anything yeah. going on. Um, but maybe it's like, maybe that suits the story because later on we start not getting linear, but it is pretty slow. I like I, I can agree with that. Like the it's it's not like it's not supposed to be exciting. It's not really specialized any any way, direction wise, but it does I think still tell the story. Um it is but I would agree that it, it can be very slow and I, don't know, I guess it's all I'm just agreeing with, with that I just... statement. Even though I really <laughs> like the ideas of the whole movie. Um yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I really like the sort of premise. Like, like in the trailer, the they use the that scene a lot where she um, they say this is the sentence we're going to ask them. Why don't we just ask them that sentence? And she's like, we don't know. Like, we don't know that they know what a question is. Mm -hmm. And like really breaking it down to things we take for granted language wise. I think that is really interesting stuff. I didn't really care about the characters, which is like the main problem with investing in the story, but. <laughs> Ultimately, it doesn't. It I don't buy the central premise of the ending. Like, I really struggle with this. They're like, oh well, when you learn a language, you develop, you get it, it rewires your brain, um, and so then you're supposed to believe. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe as someone who's seen the movie more times, maybe clarify this for me. Um, but we're supposed to understand that once she learns the alien language, she can now see the future, mm -hmm. and. I just feel like from a sci-fi concept point of view, that's more magic than science. And I just quite, I don't know. I, if it was a fantasy movie, maybe it just doesn't really work for me. It's, it's too much of a leap, but I'm also cynical and haven't liked any of the movies we've watched so far. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I think it's supposed to be like a metaphor for the like rewiring of your brain that learning a new language mm -hmm. encompasses but like on a grander, you know, sort of world-saving scale. The question I had at the end, because you see her uh, in the flash forwards teaching like students the language. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, are more and more people going to learn this? And is like the human population gradually going to learn en masse to like see through time all the time? Or does she have such a special brain for language that it's kind of still unique to her? That was a question I had at the end of the I, movie. I think that's I the think, point yeah. of the movie, of, yeah. of, the, of what the aliens were trying to do with the humans is make them learn this language yeah mm -hmm. so they can see so like they're like use the language use the weapon they use weapon and weapon equals language mm -hmm. basically they want everyone which to is have a it. quote from the beginning yeah. of the movie right yeah. when yeah. she gets on the helicopter he quotes her mm -hmm. to herself 
and mm -hmm. she says um, that the first weapon drawn in a war is language. Yeah. Also, the fact that, like, yeah, there's teeth. Sorry. Yeah. Also, um, they mentioned that, like, in 3,000 years, um, they will need humans to help out. And unless yeah. they anticipate her to be living in 3,000 years, then, like, eventually someone else has to know that language as well. Right. It does feel yeah. as though it's a way to bring humanity into another form of thinking and therefore can become more sophisticated in so many different ways. I think, yes, that would also, I agree that that would be the point is that maybe not right away. It's not every student who learns the language immediately gets it, but over time, humanity would come to know the language. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe it's not the best parallel. It reminded me of Doctor Strange, where no <laughs> one is like incapable of attaining that level, but it's sort of weeded out based on who's willing to put in the work and who is sympathetic to understanding things outside of the parameters of how they're used to thinking. And I think that's like a stepping stone towards gradually putting the human race in the hands of people who are responsible enough to handle it. Actually. Yeah, I saw it as just like a conversation on fluency overall, you know, like not, like not everyone is going to become fluent in the language they learned in high school, but those who are committed and who really dive into it, you do develop a different sense um, and your brain works in a different way by balancing those two languages for three or four or however many it is. That's how I always interpreted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, just, I think to bounce off that point, um, I think getting, I mean, if I get too literal about the sci-fi of it, I also find myself being like, meh. But what I really like about it, I mean, just to go back to my dissertation for a minute, um, a lot of philosophers have analyzed um, systematic communicative breakdowns in really systematic ways and really formulaic ways like oh here are the conventions or here are the beliefs that like are skewed in the in the background of of how we use language and um what my dissertation is saying is basically like what's going wrong with communication isn't just because it's my my dissertation is talking about um when women try and refuse men and the men are confused so like the aziz ansari situation rather than like Harvey Weinstein. So Harvey Weinstein like knew what he was doing and did it anyway, but disease I'm sorry could be genuinely interpreted as just like not having realized that he was transgressing. So like what's going on in that situation? Um, and all these philosophers have done all these different analyses being like, well, it's the conventions, it's the beliefs, it's like the stereotypes. And my dissertation is like, people are not reading other people in that moment. Like somebody's body is saying a lot of things to you. And unless you're tuned into the entire context in a really embodied way, you're gonna miss things. It doesn't matter how good you are at conventions. And I think that's part of what like is going on in this movie is the, the, the point about language, like both filmic language and also spoken human language is that you have to see the whole thing in order to understand the meaning of a particular part. Right, because you don't understand the meaning of the beginning of the movie until you get to the end and then suddenly there's this reversal where the audience is all of a sudden put into this like you're almost like traveling back in time and you're like oh what i thought meant this actually means all these other things so you're mm -hmm. kind of seeing the kind of like the circling back around on itself of the movie of the narrative of the movie which i think is really interesting when you think about how the language the written language is it's a circle yeah. And there is no beginning or ending to their language at all. It's all just circular and the written style is, you know, they don't form sentences in the way that we do. It's just an idea and a concept because there can't be 
a beginning and an end in their relation in their language it just doesn't exist and i think that's super cool and that the yeah. beginning of their being able to communicate starts with like them like kind of touching each other in a way mm -hmm. right like making a kind of actual bodied like connection mm -hmm. I liked when they spoke about, which I know is a kind of linguistic thing people have spoken about before, where they basically, I think at one point she's describing it to the Jeremy Renner character, and it's like, if you can start a sentence at the beginning, at the end, and work back into the center, so that you know both what you wanted to communicate in its entirety before you began, as well as how you wanted to begin by, the, like, at the end, is really an interesting way to think that does make your brain kind of wobble for a minute, I think. I actually have a question maybe that um, Lisa, I think, would be able to answer just in terms of your dissertation. Um, they mentioned how the written language was so much, like what they said versus how what they wrote were two completely different things because like you're, you can't say like that whole complex like circle mm -hmm. of what you write. And I thought that was fascinating, but at the same time, I was kind of like what, I guess, would that kind of encompass like what would that like I had no idea how that would work but I just thought it was like a really interesting thing that like I didn't get but I'd love to have learned more yeah I don't um I'm not a linguist I'm a philosopher so I don't actually oh, know <laughs> um I don't really have a lot of commentary on that but I also on this rewatch actually just sort of actually began thinking about that more than I had in in previous ones. I don't know if anyone else has anything to say. Um, I, I read up on some of that because um, it's sort of mentioned in like the Wikipedia page too, um, <laughs> that, that there are languages that are completely different from the phonetical like sounds that are made with writing like in English. Like so the speech is completely different than the writing. So it's actually technically two different languages in a way. So yeah. it was easier for her to communicate with the visuals. But I think eventually she started communicating with the audio as well and connecting mm -hmm. them too. But it, it doesn't look like there's a translation that, that, is, that you can trace into the language. It, it's only just like matching a symbol to a bunch of sounds. I think that's a big part of the short story yeah. too. I remember they go into it more. She separates their languages as heptapod A, I think is the spoken and heptopod B is the, I can't remember if that was in the movie as well, heptopod B is the written down stuff and she eventually just keeps treating them as two different languages as opposed to trying to find the connection because it's just impossible. Right. Yeah. I found that stuff really interesting. I wanted, they, they montaged that stuff away, all of the mm -hmm. actual figuring out how the language works and the, the building blocks of the language. I would have watched a whole movie, just that <laughs> montage made into like a 90 minute thing. That is the short story. The short story like has none of the, I know I can't connect it, but it's like has none of the, it has none of the sort of international conflict stuff or the bomb going off. It's really just what the situation, and like the scenes where they're talking with the aliens behind the glass, it sounds way more banal. It just sounds like a big room with a piece of glass between it. You don't, there's none of this like fog and language is like ink on the glass. It's way more beautiful in the movie and atmospheric, but the the story is like, it's much more kind of like, what if this happened? And it would be kind of, the situation would seem sort of banal, but the learning of the language would be so fascinating. And that's what it gets into. Of course. And then the Hollywood made it and they were like, and then there'll be an explosion yeah. and Russia's misbehaving. I, I, I support those choices. I think it kind of pulls it off in the movie and the atmosphere of the movie, which is so like kind of not funereal, but it's, it's kind of austere and it's kind of sad, but it's also really immersed in that world. 
that's not in the story and that's something I really love about the movie that makes the whole thing work for me, I think. I love a movie that has these kind of, you engage in the world coming together to face a crisis. So yeah. it really peaked <laughs> yeah. me right now. But I think, yeah. uh, I just think that adds such a interesting part of the reality of how we have to work together and how there is this outside force, whether it's, you know, a good or evil force. I, I love those kind of things in any kind of disaster movie or sci-fi movie or whatever. So I thought it was nice that this film had that part of it as well that I thought actually kind of added a yeah. next level that I, I know some people don't share, but I thought it was <laughs> Kelly, but I thought it was... Uh... <laughs> that was not one of the things I said was a problem with the movie. That I did not reference that at all. No. I think that's lovely. And I think it's great that it's, they don't depict it as super easy yeah. um, because it would be a nightmare and we would get in our own way and like would not be able to solve the problem because we'd be in such conflict with each other. <clears throat> And I think there is, it happens in every piece of sci-fi that you read or see where a more, you know, advanced alien species comes to Earth and is like, what a ridiculous group of people you are. You're not even one planet yet. <laughs> and every time you see that, you're like, yes, why are we still doing this? Surely we could be I love visiting other worlds by now. <laughs> I love the moment it, where they're like all around the table at the end and there's one guy who's like, well, we, we don't, what does it mean? We know what it means. And she's like, do I have to talk to him? Yeah. <laughs> I thought of you in that moment. I felt like that's what, like, life at the... That is my life! <laughs> you were talking to the academia bros. Do I have to? Uh, oh. This is, like, super random, but I, like, somehow forgot that this was a... Not, like big like disaster movie but like in the very beginning when they're like people are like stocking up on toilet paper and on food and i was like oh this sits a little closer to home than i thought it would yeah, yeah. yep yep so far we are three for three on everything <laughs> just feeling making things worse <laughs> really like, excited for you've got mail week <laughs> <laughs> like lying in bed and just watching like tv news that like seems horrible and like she just looks impassive yeah. it doesn't do anything. <laughs> It was very like yeah, very relatable. Does <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyone else have big thoughts on anything? Anyone want to talk about the actual filmmaking and the the pacing yeah. and the shots and the music and all that sort of stuff? I just love. I don't know how to say it. the novel. The the novel. No I idea. The new. The new. The new. I love him i am love him as a director and ecstatic for dune when it eventually yes. comes out um, all right timothy and, chalamet yeah. and so many other amazing perfect. people anyway yeah. separate <laughs> conversation if we're still in this and when that comes out we can all talk about it well that's never uh, coming out there's never going to be another blockbuster film <laughs> separate conversation <laughs> So I, yeah, I love the atmosphere of it. I mean, to go to what you were saying, Duncan, with this, the um, setting and the, the alien design and the fog, the ink splatters was just so beautiful. And I think one of my favorite shots is when they're first sucked in and then it, the gravity flips. Mm -hmm. It's just so beautifully done, mm -hmm. even though it's, it's like such a simple little moment. I just thought that was so cool. Um, yeah, I think that, I think the, 
that's really great. I I didn't love the amazing dramatic bong, bong <laughs> all the time, but it did set the mood. So there seemed to be a a repetitive panning up and down of uh, mm. like light and dark sort of thing happening throughout the movie as a sort of stylized thing. Um, I didn't think it really, I think it was just something he used throughout the film to connect things, but I, I didn't feel like it really enhanced any feeling or I, I just thought it was very simple. Um, otherwise, I feel like he's a director that just serves the story. He's not trying to do anything special anyway. So, because uh, I've seen, I realize I've seen a lot of his other films and I don't remember any certain style with him. Um, but I do remember enjoying those films. I feel as though he has a pretty distinctive visual style. Yeah. Every single movie I've seen of his has the same color tone. There's like very few vibrant colors. There are all these kind of muted seemingly vibrant but in a muted way like I think of 2049 as well and they all they have a very similar kind of stark futuristic tone which is why I think he keeps getting tapped for things like Dune to have these really picturesque like arresting visuals I, I often think of the one from Arrival I think of a lot is the one where we first see the ship and it does the bong sound <laughs> and the mist is coming in over the mountains and there's just that shape hovering and that is just such a painting in that moment it's so stunning and there's other ones like in 2049 i think of that room you know the gold room anyway i think there's in every one of his films there's always a moment of um there's one in Alson D as well anyway whatever where you can kind of picture the exact frame and i can just see it in my mind which i think is such a telling mark of a filmmaker has anyone seen enemy the one in toronto Mm. Yes. Didn't understand that? a single frame. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of that movie, without giving the way, like the very last frame, like there's like a creature mm. that comes out of nowhere. And it felt like, in the, I didn't notice, but this time rewatching, it felt like there was a direct reference to it where she talks about dreaming about the aliens and then she suddenly sees the alien. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Nice like, pull. <laughs> I forgot about that movie altogether. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I blocked that movie out. <laughs> I went to the University of Toronto, so it felt very relevant because half of it was up there. I see. Fear and sad. And I taught at Scarborough, which is where they film it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It felt very right. Felt so, very do you right. also heavily relate to the CW show Rain then? Or <laughs> what about like the later installments of Anne of Green Gables? No. <laughs> Just like certain things that shot Constantly. at U of T. I constantly <laughs> rain. Um, <laughs> I love rain. Like, <laughs> but it is very U of T. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's my school. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I think this is less, I guess, about filmmaking and more just like the design, I guess, of the aliens themselves. Like the the hand like shape that you see for most of the movie is very creepy to me, but like it very atmospheric. But then when you see them in their entire it him whatever in its entirety and it's just this like monstrous thing that vaguely looks like a grim reaper but i i just love the design of it and it's so both creepy but like comforting yeah. i don't know i don't know why i thought grim reaper but like comforting that let's drill like, down it's... on comforting for a second there right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like... it's like a comforting grim reaper like... <laughs> which okay it's like it's a mentor 
love it. It did have a dementor. Like a non-evil dementor. Yeah. Non-evil dementor. Yeah. Exactly. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Good dream dementor. Yeah. That scene had a was, like interesting. It like was such a pivotal scene, both for like getting across information and mm-hmm. being beautiful and being climactic. But I kept being distracted this time by her hair by the CGI. Yeah. <laughs> That didn't make sense. Oh, when it was floating around? Yeah, because everything else was... <laughs> that didn't work for me. That was a lot. else was gravity. Everything else was going towards gravity. The aliens were on something. She was standing on something. Yeah. But her well, hair was floating. Yeah, very odd. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, if I meet some aliens, I want my hair to flow like that. Like, I don't care what the technicalities. I just... Same. But yeah, it was distracting. She just got like a permanent, uh, the, the fan from Photoshop, or from photo shoots. You know, um, like uh, when... Uh, my Rudolph does Kamala Harris on SNL. She has like a permanent uh, wind thing, wind machine going so that her hair is always flowing beautifully. <laughs> what distracted me was that her hair looked like it had been crimped. Like, you remember those crimping irons from the 80s? Like, it just looked vaguely like somebody had just taken a crimping iron to it. I don't know if some of you might be too young to remember this, but I crimped my hair in the 80s. It was a bad look. It's a bad look, but it looked very flowy and very like... <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> no, I saw that. I definitely got that. <laughs> Susan, what do you think? You haven't spoken in a while. I know. No, it's good. I Talking about how it looks, I'm always impressed by the scale that Villeneuve is able to uh, demonstrate. Everything looks so huge. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. It's very that's austere, true. but like very warm as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was this, does anyone know if, was really fascinating. Yeah, does anyone know if this was actually shot in Montana? No, it was shot in Montreal, I think. Oh, really? Uh, well, that makes sense from where his they perspective. Do the big, the big uh, mountain scenes. Yeah, that was what I was wondering, because I did see a couple Canadian actors sort of like in one-line roles, <laughs> um, but I didn't. So I was like, oh, is this Canadian shot? But then it did really look like Montana. It could be CGI. They can add that stuff in Yeah. to change it up. Yeah. It feels I'm, like I'm there must be tax TV, credits yeah. to shoot in Montana, though, you would, you would think. This is the part where I plug my brother's godfather, who's an actor, and he's in the movie for 10 seconds as, like, Ooh. one of the British scientists that Jeremy Renner is Skyping with. Very good. Oh, cool. cool. He's, like, our yeah. best family friend. His name is Tony Robineau. Excellent actor. Uh, cool. uh, <laughs> so he talked about that for a year. He was like, that was an arrival. Like, <laughs> what about you, Matt? Oh, what about anything? <laughs> I've just been so fascinated by all these other thoughts. Uh, and I think the main thing that stood out to me on this rewatch was just the the whole through line, the theme of communication and versus interpretation. I guess uh, I thought it was fascinating, specifically like right at the beginning when she says, "Ask him for uh, the Sanskrit word for war and what it means," and then how the single word can just be a window into how the person communicating that translation actually thinks mm-hmm. and how that and just clocking that just attuned me to that coming up throughout the entire film. And I thought it was really telling that the way it ties together at the end is that she's someone who's kind of, I think, advocating for being as objective or as fair as possible in communicating and understanding something. But then when it comes to the personal choice that she makes in marrying and then like having the kid Jeremy Renner, she's going into that knowing full well that the kid is going to die, but she doesn't communicate that to him. And that's like a conscious choice on her part. So I thought that was yeah. like an interesting dichotomy that the mm-hmm. film was commenting on itself with. 
Yeah. Speaking philosophically, morally about that, that whole thing with her knowing what's going to happen to their daughter. And then my understanding was that he left her because she told him that their daughter Mm -hmm. was going to die. Um, Does anyone have thoughts and feelings on like what the right thing to do there was and what you would want? Would you want to know? Oh, I thought it's because she didn't tell him at the beginning. But she knew. Yeah. But she decided to go through with it anyway. And then he got mad because she hadn't told him or because she did tell him? I think that, that he wasn't a part of the, uh, he wasn't part of the decision to have the daughter in the first mm-hmm. place, knowing that. Yeah. And then once he did find out, I think it's like you, you've built everything we have on this horrible truth. Yeah. yeah. And also she has a different uh, perception because she, the way that she's able to, I suppose, experience and understand time after suddenly magically learning the circle language, she can come back and revisit her memories with the daughter as though it's in the present, whereas for him, he's still experiencing time in a linear fashion. Mm. So I think that's a secondary thing that, I don't think it's addressed, but specifically just because it's probably not something that she's even aware of. And I think that plays into the whole unseen conflict. I think the movie is just so smart because it doesn't tell you all the information about anything, like including that, but even the fact that like when she's uh, re-communicating the quote that the um, Chinese general, uh, was uh, whatever it is, the dead wife's quote, like you never actually get the translation for what that is. And it's just an ongoing thing in the movie where they give you just enough information to understand what's happening, but not to fully comprehend it. And I just, I love that. That's my favorite thing about this movie. Go ahead, Lisa. So I, um, I mean, I think I hadn't actually thought about the fact that he was pissed at her for not telling him. I thought he was, my interpretation the whole time has been he's pissed at her for telling him. That's what I thought too. But, but, but I mean, I think both are, both are yeah. equally plausible, but it was just interesting to me that I, I hadn't actually thought about that. What was always on my mind, and this is because I saw this movie as I was like literally like grieving two different things, like very intensely at the same time. Um, what always struck me about that was that she knew her daughter was going to die and she chose to to have her daughter anyway and that there was something like there was like a that there was something remarkable about that because I think I I can't imagine what it's like to be a parent and have your child die like I can't imagine how awful that is and I know that there's a scene where the little girl says why did daddy leave me he doesn't look at me the same way anymore and I also wondered from that scene was like because this happens with couples who lose children like it causes a rift in their relationship no matter what. Like, even if there isn't this weird, like, time communication (laughs) dimension added to it because it becomes this, like, yeah, it becomes a kind of, like, I don't know. It's like he he might not have made that same decision that that she made or he he might not have been able to cope with it emotionally in the same way. Like, I don't know. And I wondered also, this is just a random thought. I have no, no thoughts about it beyond this, but... Like, why did the aliens choose her? Like, there was something about her and her capacity, not just for language, but also for kind of emotional resilience that I think, that I think is, is related to why the, the aliens chose her as, as the person that they needed to teach this language to. Did they choose her or did they just land and then she was the person who they got? Well, the big question too is, they can see the future. So... They experience, and the same way she experiences the future, which I find really interesting about the movie is that time doesn't exact, it's not like she can see the future or the past. She's experiencing time simultaneously. So it's like every happy memory she has of her daughter 
is exactly, she's experiencing in real time the same way she's experiencing the loss of her daughter. So it's kind of like a balance, which I think is the whole point of the circle and that you experience this balance. But I think, I think about that a lot where, why do they pick her? I don't know if they did, it was as if she was already picked and they could see that the, she was going to be the one, you know? Right. I, I mean, the time yeah. travel structure, the easiest way to understand it is it is exactly what happens in Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Everything connects back to Harry That's Potter just like straight Azkaban. up. Obviously. He Isn't casts the Patronus loop? across the water. Isn't there a closed loop in that, though? There's, a, <laughs> there's an ending and, and to, yeah. the, to the weird time. Yeah. We end up back in present at some point. It's like the time turner accesses the ability to move through. Whereas in this film, time is no longer linear whatsoever. Yeah. The way I always instead of time instead of being in line is just paper together. So she as you said really well, uh, Liz, she's experiencing everything all at once. And so she has to process and, and handle it in such a way that she still then makes the choices that she makes. Mm-hmm. I think the See, I, big thing that we, we were talking about of the issue of why, why is it her um, mm-hmm. that, that we are following? Why is it her in particular? Would other people see um, this idea of uh, looking into the future and the past and the present all at the same time and think, I'm gonna change my future mm-hmm. and not I'm not going to go with him and have a child. Like some people might choose that mm-hmm. um, as an option. And then it's like, then you get start questioning fate and all that. Um, yeah. But um, she, I think she had a line. I wrote it down too, because I felt like it was a very important thing that she said she's going to embrace every moment, even though she knows what's going to happen. And I think that's a really big part of the, I, the whole ideas of these, of the, of this film, the story um, about, living in the present um, more than worrying about the future or even if you know about the future, like mm-hmm. there's something on that that some people will act differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of thought Kelly had a really interesting point when she brought up Harry Potter, um, just that like this is such a stable time loop and kind of going off um, what you just said, Steve, just in that she's going to enjoy every minute of it because it's not like she can particularly like deviate from the path because like as she's experiencing all this the path like has already kind of been laid out for her which is probably in how I um, interpreted it why the aliens like were able to communicate with her because like they already knew that but then you you guys brought up an interesting point and I realized I've been thinking in the movie in a very different way so I thought that like she experienced time kind of in that random like what's a word I can't think of it and then like she can flash forward or somehow like kind of manipulate it or it's probably just because she was just learning the language and kind of going through that so we hadn't really seen her like fully being able to manipulate it but I was just thinking like the rest of her life she'd just be like thrown backwards and forwards as opposed to being able to kind of like do the time going through time kind of in the way that she'd want to yeah I've got the question for me is like can does anything change at all based on action because in the scene where she, uh, where the Chinese general comes up to her at the party and says, you know, you gave me, you said those, my wife's dying words. And at first she at the party doesn't seem to know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And then he tells her, and then at the same time in the present, she doesn't know, and then she knows. And so when we're seeing her at the party, is is time kind of changing in real time? Is she 
retroactively being rem reminded or is it just kind of she's simultaneously in the present and the future and the past like Liz was saying that that was a question for me that particular moment I feel like it's all it's all fate like that's that's what this film is sort of saying is that all of these moments were going to happen that mm -hmm. he, he has to give her the information to tell him in mm -hmm. the past yeah um, in this because way she, in this way because they know the language yeah, but and the party she like doesn't know, and then she knows. I think that that's also part of her learning yeah. language. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as she's kind of her brain is expanding to like understand this new way of thinking and understanding how we can absorb information, I think it will kind of be that piecemeal. Like, yeah, uh, I'm figuring out. I can kind of zip back and forth, like Bree, you were saying. But I, I do think eventually what would happen is this awakening to the idea that I can exist in the future and the past mm -hmm. and the present all at once. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought what I really liked about this movie and what was my kind of main theme for it was this concept of free will and what is free will, what is fate, what is predetermined, you know, how does it all work out? And as cheesy as the line was, I loved Charlie Renner's line where he asks like, do you want to have a baby? or let's make a baby let's or whatever, baby. you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's super cheesy and it's right in its delivery, but her response and her pause is so beautiful because it is really that question. You know, she says yes. And it's fully knowing what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cheesy, powerful moment that is really beautiful. And, and having that moment at the same time as she's then telling him, I just realized why my husband left me. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> heartbreaking that you're like you are living your best most beautiful most lovely peaceful moment at the same time as you're living this horrific realization oh i i that's where i cried a lot well so i mean just i mean i, I i'm sure other people on this call have experienced like some grief but like i at the time was like a year out from my dad having died like kind of like what her daughter goes through like just like a really really terrible death where you see somebody's body disintegrate Right. And like grief is this weird thing where like you have flashes of it and then you'll have like a flash of a happy memory and you'll have a flash of a sad memory. And then it's just, and like suddenly it's like, it's not linear anymore. And it's not um, uh, like all of your sad memories are infused with some happiness and all the happy memories are tinged with the sadness in this, in this way that becomes like really weird and complicated after somebody has died. And it really struck me as like, capturing that kind of complexity in in the fact that like you're still gonna i would never have not chosen to know that person but like now all of a sudden all of my memories are like a little bit bittersweet because i know how it ended mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah on that note does anybody have any final thoughts on arrival um yes. i i looked up the uh the apparently someone translated what uh the chinese president <gasps> told her tell us um that her it's his uh his wife's dying words war war has no winners only widows hmm. which is wild because it did seem as though he was speaking for a while <laughs> yeah it does, seem a lot, it does seem a lot longer than longer than that translation when i was watching the movie i was like that seems a lot more yeah. detailed <laughs> Um, this is I, a random final thought, but like, 
I'm sure I have more, but like the one I always think of when I watch this movie is her house is so beautiful. And like, Mm -hmm. I want to move there. And like, I don't need Jeremy Renner to be with me. I just want that house. Oh, totally. (laughs) University professors. Every, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, once you save the world, you know, you can go wherever you want. Mm -hmm. No, Brie, every day I'm like, let's go move to a lake and live in total isolation. That's just perfect. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> the one thing I don't think I said because I, I missed the very beginning and maybe someone already said this but the the other thing I liked about the film itself as opposed to the story was that it was a bit of it it was challenging to me in a good way because the entire conceit of the whole thing is kind of based on the fact that you're so willing to think that this woman is sad and alone because they just show her walking around and being in her house and like going to bed kind of early with the TV that you're like, something tragic must have happened. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see these flashbacks and it's like, she probably lost her daughter and her family as opposed to just, this is a normal woman (laughs) her life and teaching. And the whole film is based off of you having to think that Amy is going about her business is the most tragic thing you've ever seen. And it works. And everyone in the theater is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Like, at no point do they show kids' toys or kids' things in her home. It's just yeah. probably she's, you know, she wears a lot of beige, so she must be depressed. Like, it really, and that was something I thought just about the film, the way that they built it was so well done mm-hmm. and was a kind of challenge to the viewer to be like, why did you think that? Hmm? Okay. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Anyway, that was something. I, yeah. And I looked it up, and they apparently filmed the Montana scenes in Saint Fabien, Quebec. Ooh. Okay. Which apparently, looks stunning. And it's a lot beautiful. Like Let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> I love Whitaker's accent. Was it Chicago? Oh yeah. Uh, but like I like or bought no Boston <laughs> I bought whatever it was but it was like yeah. I liked it. whose accent Forrest Whitaker's oh, yeah I really liked that the humanities major finally saves the day <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like the it's you know we've got a we have the scientists we have the military and yes they're contributing and they're helping <laughs> but really it's the humanities major <laughs> academic <laughs> linguist woman you know all of those wonderful things that's true i feel like linguist is one of those occupations where that meme that was going around of like is there a doctor on this plane i'm not asking for <laughs> linguist are they well this was the linguist's time <laughs> finally her moment <laughs> and i think it's super realistic because one of the first challenges in any initial contact is going to be communication you for know sure. the linguists will be called for sure. I also do really enjoy at the very beginning when she comes out and she starts her lecture and she does this whole thing about Portuguese. I was like, oh, do I want to take language courses? That's <laughs> fascinating. Same. So my undergraduate degree is in linguistics. And yes, it's totally fascinating all the time, but you don't learn to speak any languages. <laughs> That's a lot. That takes a lot more work. Susan, you're, you have a degree in linguistics and you spoke like not at all on this entire call. <laughs> Should in your moment, Susan. Well, I don't know. I was listening. I'm, I know about linguistics. I, what I can say is that linguists would definitely do that. The, one of the sort of like apex course that I took in that was uh, 
uh, learning a language by speaking to, like trying to develop the rules of a language by talking to a native speaker of it. Um, and the, it's easier when that native speaker also speaks your language, but that is like, there are people whose job, job, I guess life is just going around and talking to people in a new language and trying to derive all the rules and figure out all of those things that she was saying in that great sentence breakdown. Um, yeah. Like that oh. is, that's a real job. That was yeah. what, it, what I mean when I say I would watch a 90 minute film about what just happens in that montage. Like yeah. at some point, Jeremy Renner just says, well, she figured out that blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I really want to know how she figured that out. Like, how do you go from it, it looking like a blob and sounding like <laughs> to we know exactly like at the end, she's able to just full on have conversations. How, where do you even... How? <laughs> Susan can point you to resources, lectures, books, documentaries. How? <laughs> I honestly don't know how it starts if you don't have a language in common. Exactly. Or like even if you're, it's like a, a fellow romance language, like on day, day one of Italian class, we went through and we circled every word that we could guess what it meant based on our knowledge of English and French. But like, these are aliens. <laughs> How? Well, aliens are like, oh no, we speak French, but <laughs> I mean, people have been doing first contact language uh, like that. Still, have, but, uh, not very much anymore. But that was it was a big deal in early ship travel. But um, like, there are those skills, right? Like, there were times that people met and had no language and also no language history, right. like kangaroo. Yeah, yes. like the example yeah. of the movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Susan, can I ask you, because yeah. that is one of the parts of the movie that I found to be quite annoying. Yeah. When she gives this whole lovely example <laughs> of kangaroo, yeah. and I'm like, it's not true, but like, I think if I was a linguist, I would be mad. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like, it's like if you watch ER with a doctor, right? Like, it's right. not. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Kangaroo is, did I miss that line where she said it's not true? Yeah. But that happens. Isn't that how, like, Ottawa and Toronto and, like, places get their names is that we misunderstood natives? I think this is the idea is that maybe there's probably perfectly good, valuable yeah. examples of that in reality. And she chose, chose to tell this bizarrely. <laughs> fake story yeah that's yeah. why i think as a linguist i would be like why are you doing this to us yeah. exactly like a doctor well yeah. that's a good question mm -hmm. were you did you find this movie annoying at all because i know that like my drummer friend cannot handle whiplash right <laughs> and like same thing with like my my i had a family friend who used to get really mad at house because she could diagnose it in the first five minutes and they were wasting <laughs> 45 minutes like <laughs> Did you have that moment of like, that's not what it's like? I mean, I have an undergraduate degree in linguistics. I wouldn't, I, I'm not a linguist. Um, Still, that's more than <laughs> most people have. <laughs> it's true. What I did, what I did sort of like about the weird kangaroo throwaway is that people, so pe the thing about linguistics is it's actually super interesting. If you're studying linguistics in undergrad and all of your friends are studying different things and everyone wants to talk about what they're studying because they're nerds and they love it. If you're the <laughs> linguist, everybody actually cares what you're studying about because we all <laughs> use language and we all like get excited about whatever dumb thing I'm excited about in the moment. Um, but the other, the weird corollary of that is that there are all these terrible folk etymologies of like ideas we have about where it came from because the story is good. That is a thing that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, like, kangaroo isn't necessarily one that's like that, but there are tons of examples. Often people think uh, uh, swear words were acronyms originally. There's a, a bunch of different things. Huh. Um, yeah, that, that comes up. These are like fake ideas and stories that are better than the truth. 
um, spread so easily. Um, mm. So that that is what I liked about the kangaroo example is that if it sounds good, people will believe it, and then they will do an image-based meme about it and share it on Facebook, and you'll never be able to remove that piece of information. <laughs> I mean. Can I just, I mean, I, I, I was also annoyed by that, but then I was also wondering why that choice, because Denis Villeneuve is like not an idiot. So yeah. I sort of wonder if like, it was a bit of a, like a fuck you to him on her part <laughs> to just be, to just sort of like trick him and also just enjoy tricking him mm. with her fake story because she knew he would buy it because he would have no fucking idea if it was true. Yeah. I mean, but like, we I, bought it until she proved it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was an inside joke between her and okay. him that, they, like, they kind of bonded over initially, and, like, that's what that story kind of did, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, that was part of its, like, performative function, which is what I like to think about. It's like, it's like uh, I, would, I would think that she would do that as, as her character, yeah. yeah. But I believe that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to keep going back to this, but <laughs> in the short story as well. So I think <laughs> Wait, what did you just say, Duncan? The, the kangaroo thing is in the short story it's as well. It. They use it in a more, like, in a, as you were saying, in a more kind of character-based way. In the okay. Movie. I need to read this short story. No, yeah. I, but we should, it's just the movie. But like, yeah. <laughs> and they say, as you were saying, like, that is a story that has gone around a lot. And we all know it's not true, but linguists use it all the time because it's such a mm. good story. I didn't know it wasn't true. But, you know, whatever. Just, just <laughs> one moment just now is when I found out it wasn't true because I clearly wasn't listening to the every line of dialogue. Just certain ones. <laughs> Kelly was <laughs> bored. I was so bored. See, but you would have these fun facts now, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like an argument to be made that like because I was bored, I wasn't paying enough attention. And if I paid more attention, I would have been less bored. And around and around we go because everything's a circle, right? Yeah. I think if you watch it again, including maybe... time and language. <laughs> try watching watching again, maybe. Help. <laughs> focus on focus on that house. Focus on Jeremy Renner putting her coat on her, and then you know you'll really get yeah, it. I appreciated Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner wearing glasses. Girlfriend. That was cute. <laughs> Bria, this I love is your the only movie I like Jeremy of... Renner in. I usually really dislike him, but I love him in this movie. Yeah, I don't mind yeah. him in Hurt Locker. It's okay. I mean, it's I like him in the Avengers, specifically when he's on the farm. Yes. <laughs> like not so much when he's like contributing to the fight scenes, but when he's on the farm or like teaching his daughter something that's cute. When he's over there. <laughs> Just like farm life, Jeremy Renner is acceptable to me. I really love Bree's interpretation of him as like the perfect girlfriend. Yeah. Character. Well, like it makes so much sense. And because I, I, at first I thought he was kind of like underdeveloped mm -hmm. as a character. Like I didn't really feel like he contributed all that much but then once you framed it that way I was like oh that makes, duh I would not be complaining I mean I would be complaining about it but it's it's you'd it's, be used to it hard yeah exactly it's yeah. harder to recognize it in a male character than it yeah. is in a female character where I would just be like well sexism yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's an interesting reversal yeah and these these roles are very unisex in general mm -hmm. I think so they, I think they made choices on purpose too about that. But it, yeah, it's important that the lead be female and the male mm -hmm. be just because otherwise it feels uh, yeah, progressive to have him be so simplistic. Oh, yeah. Oh, but can you and, imagine? And we don't need to Sorry. see that again. Can we you just imagine though, like if this was a male character who impregnates a woman willingly knowing that 
someone like that the kid's gonna die like yeah. oh my god that would just be <laughs> well i mean it takes two horrible in, in it does. defense it does take two. it does it does <laughs> it, and not to say that he's not fully like his loss is not equal but yeah. the regression to go back to just like regression it is also truly taking it is always going to be different to be like this is happening to your body and i've made the choice mm -hmm. right yeah exactly yeah i agree with that. um really quickly going back to someone who asked like did you know that like that there was a cycle or what was happening in between earlier and i just remembered um when they're doing the no zero sum game and it's like mom do you know what this means and she goes go ask your father he's a scientist and i was like wait and <laughs> And that it was like, wait, they wouldn't be doing. And then when it actually gets revealed, I was like, ooh, I that found, was stealthy. I, I found that, that confusing because at what point did Jeremy Renner leave? Because she can't ask her father. Her father doesn't talk to her anymore. Well, I, I think well, I they mean, do like, meet. I think they yeah. do meet uh, separately. There was a few scenes where they said, "You'll see your father later." And mm -hmm. so I think he, he hasn't left with daughter. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, so he left, but he like still. Yeah. He just doesn't look at her the same, but he does like actually <laughs> take care of her. Yeah, yeah. still parents are. Still okay. Her. Well, then they kept mean. using the word "left them," so I don't know. I think that's the moment too, where we see directly after he's discovered this, he's heartbroken, he's left, mm -hmm. and then we get to also see the future where it's like, okay, six years later, surely you've been able to reconcile yourself to still caring about and loving your daughter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah, I never, I never interpreted it as he stopped loving his daughter. I always interpreted it as he stopped loving his wife because mm. he's angry at her for all this, and that he just, you know, children are really perceptive. She would have noticed that her dad looks at her with grief in her eyes, and that's what she's how he's looking at her differently. Is he's seeing the future um, of her no longer existing, and that it's, it's, you know, to go back to the cycle thing, it's and impacting how he looks at her in the moment. Mm -hmm. right it would have been a massive spoiler if he had shown up at the hospital but like <laughs> he should have shown up at the, yeah yeah at the very end yeah yeah just to be like you know he still cares about his daughter but like he's pissed at his wife but like yeah but no oh well he's trash it's fine he had a but physics conference also, i think something <laughs> where because whenever we see the future we're seeing it only from her perspective mm -hmm. yeah so it's kind of like probably they're the two people that are spending the least amount of time together mm. which is also just it adds to the tragedy it really <laughs> adds to the <laughs> anyway um, i have one little other <laughs> uh, little topic i don't know um if you want to talk about it but um sort of it's sort of like a missing piece or a hole about the the aliens come here for the purpose to help humans so they can help them later in 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. Why? Don't they see the future as well? What is the problem? Why don't you tell us what the problem is? That sort of thing. Um, all of those kind of questions came into my mind as well of just what is this threat? You're obviously way more advanced. Why do you need us? Um, it's sort of a little hole. I mean, there has to be a little reason why the aliens are helping the humans. So that's it's not really answered or well, like if an alien came down and was like, in 3,000 years, my planet's <laughs> going to blow up. I need you to fix this. It'd be like, wait, none of us are working together. So absolutely mm -hmm. not. I felt like it at least by like introducing the language and like slowly kind of bringing in the concepts, it at least 
allowed people to kind of wrap their brains around it because they'd be learning a language that like they'd have no way to actually help people out with or help the aliens out with later um and it's just kind of like integrating it into the culture like you should learn this language so in 3,000 years your descendants can eventually help us not that like you couldn't save the day I'm sorry but like later you should Mm -hmm. I guess I just don't believe what I feel like there's an implicit um uh, idea that humanity needs to start working together now in order to yeah. be technologically advanced in 3,000 years to be able to help them. But then where are they going to be in 3,000 years? Like, I just feel like there's a weird balance. Like, if they are so, if they're so advanced already, yeah. why can't they solve their own problem, for example? But who, well, it might be one of those things where, like, 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 no matter what, they need, they're going to need help. Right, like when you, what, what, what's the, the phrase that, or the way it's put, where like developing a, a system to kill two buffalo instead of one was progress, killing the whole, like driving the herd off the cliff is too much progress. So mm-hmm. it's possible that them being an advanced doesn't mean that they will never need the help of people who are not as advanced as them. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's possible that like, you're right, that, that we need to start working together now to in 3000 years, be able to help them in the interceding 3000 years, they may become too advanced and end up destroying themselves or mm-hmm. their planet or whatever, the way that, you know, we are currently. And they will need to come to a society that has done less damage to their own world, theoretically, just because we're behind to uh, help them out somehow. I don't know. Could be and also the, the whole solution is about working together. Maybe they just need more working together and we need to be part of that. But, and also we need to get ready yeah. for working together. So yeah. maybe, they're, maybe they're building a huge team. Maybe it's not <laughs> just us. It's a bit of an Avengers. Maybe they sent, they sent uh, uh, 12 different, what is the shippy thing called? The pods or whatever? The, sure sent 12 of them whatever to every planet in the solar system <laughs> yeah that's possible they yeah, got a that, lot and that's a pretty things. common thing in sci-fi too to kind of be like we're going to need this mm-hmm. whenever yeah. and i think yeah. that that's what a really good sci-fi does is that it allows these kind of conversations to happen because if they were to say you know there's another group of aliens and they're going to fight us it would allow us to ask even more questions and pick it all apart but by just saying we're going to need your help in 3,000 years. It leaves it so wide open for us to be able to make up all of these possibilities. And does anyone else think it was like totally lovely that um, like that's part of what this is about? And that's, I feel a little bit like what's happening in the world right now. Like maybe this is my slightly optimistic view, but Mm -hmm. like people are having to work together in really unexpected weird ways in terms of like collaboration and technology. Like, like the somebody Chinese said, gave the Dutch a bunch of face masks. Well, and somebody said that 3D printers are starting to print like um, ventilators. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. My favorite is Christian no, Siriano has no. his team making face masks. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> making face masks right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, but I think that that is exactly it, where no matter what, in any of these kind of movies, it has to be an outside force that forces us all to work together, come together, do this thing. And I think what's happening now is exactly that, where it is completely uncontrollable, was not created by our own hand that we know of, and (laughs) something that we now have to. And also, not just that, but the way that we're reacting to it across the board is similar. So it's the first time that we now have a shared experience (laughs) for the Mm -hmm. world, which is cool. Mm -hmm. 
awful, but <laughs> cool. <laughs> awful, but cool. <laughs> awful, terrible, terrible, but here we are all yeah. working together. <laughs> all right. So I think that the note will end oh, on God. if oh, that's God, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag silver linings. I was the one who brought it up. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us today, everybody. Um, everyone make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at my ent world, my ent world, and my entertainmentworld.ca has all of the new coverage and all of the episodes of the Corona Movie Club. And I forgot, does anyone remember what's coming up next? What we're doing on Friday? I have it. Hold oh, it's on. Horse Girl. It's definitely Horse Girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that movie's a trip, guys. Get excited. <laughs> is that one on American Netflix? It definitely is, because it's a Netflix original. So uh, it should be, at least, because well, it's definitely there we American go. movie. <laughs> there we go. It's really good. <laughs> Alison Brie's a gem, guys. It'll be fun. Alison Brie, I love her. Yeah. I do love her. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Bye. 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 Bye.